Hi, everyone. I'm Donna Anderson, author of lovefraud.com and host of the True Love Fraud Stories podcast. This is the conclusion of my interview with Dr. Leanne Leadham. Dr. Leadham is a psychiatrist, a professor of counseling and psychology at the University of Bridgeport, and an expert on the impact of psychopathy on the family members of affected individuals. I've asked Dr. Leadham to listen to and then comment on our most recent episodes of True Love Fraud Stories, called Love and Losing My Mind. This is the story of a young woman whom I call Susanna and her relationship with a man whom I call Luke. Luke engaged in subtle abuse and manipulation, which created extreme stress for Susanna. In part three, Dr. Leadham offers advice on recovery from this traumatic relationship abuse. Here's our conversation. So let's talk a little bit about recovery. Um, how, I mean, one of the things that Susanna did was she realized that she couldn't think her way out of this and needed to let her body, uh, take charge. So how do physical strategies like yoga or exercise or EMDR help to overcome trauma? Let's just divide up those. So what I would say to anyone who is trying to recover Dialectical behavioral therapy has what we call the PLEASE skills. And that's an acronym for the following. Without the PLEASE skills, you cannot have mental health or recovery. So PL means take care of your, the PL is physical. So take care of your physical body. If you have any sort of physical condition, make sure you're keeping up with the treatment of it, whether it's diabetes, high blood pressure, whatever physical condition you might have. Make sure you're taking care of that. E is, e is eating a proper diet. People know what foods affect their brain and affect their mood. And so be sure that you're eating a diet that has plenty of um, vitamins in it and that it's a healthy diet that's not too packed with, you know, sugar and salt and the things that everyone knows are unhealthy. Um, A is avoid mind-altering substances to the extent possible. So when you're in recovery from something like this, you should, in, in my opinion, avoid alcohol completely. Um, but And also avoid caffeine beyond the morning, because what people who've been traumatized tend to do is drink caffeine because feeling wired makes you feel safe. You know, so so people are, are are drinking caffeine so they could stay up at night because they're afraid to go to sleep because they're afraid something might happen in their sleep. So watch those, watch the caffeine intake, chocolate, um, and certainly don't use street drugs. Um, you know, if you get into CBD, I don't know, CBD can impact sleep. So I don't know. And, and you know, you could have a prescriber prescribe you something. Um, but even with that, sometimes that can, you know, have side effects for the person too. So A is avoid mind altering substances to the extent you can. Um, then the S is make sure you get enough sleep, which means set your, your clock and go to bed and get up at the same time every day. 
Um, and then the third E is the last E, is sec the second E is exercise. So having a, plenty of exercise, an hour a day of exercise is important for recovery because that's what you need to keep your brain chemistry working strong. You need and probably an hour a day and at least 10 minutes of that should be pretty um, vigorous exercise if you're healthy enough for it. So that's one answer. Um, then in the second answer is that intense exercise, which would be a real cardio pace for maybe 10 or 15 minutes is a way to regulate extreme distress. So if the listeners find themselves, like she had reported like the first day or two that after this, she reported extreme distress. So dialectical behavioral therapy has what we call the tip skill. The T stands for temperature. One strategy for combating extreme distress is to fill a bowl with cold water, hold your breath, and put your face in the bowl. And hold your breath. Do that for 30 seconds. So the, the goal is to lower the temperature of your skin and cool your face off. That will lower your arousal and it will, it will start to calm you down. Then once you've calmed down, then you can go run your cardio for 15 minutes to try to extend that calm another 15 minutes. And then the, the last two P's stand for paired muscle relaxation, which the listeners can look on YouTube for video for that. And then also paced breathing. And, and you could also find a YouTube video on that. If we breathe in, it, and what most people can work off of four, seven, eight, you breathe in for four seconds, hold for seven seconds and breathe out for eight seconds. That can activate your parasympathetic nervous system because if you breathe out for longer than you breathe in, that's a relaxing breathing. So all of those strategies are strategies for increasing the parasympathetic activity and decreasing the sympathetic activity. The problem with them is that they don't last. So you do it to get rid of that extreme distress and then you have to kind of have a plan. Okay, after I get my arousal level lowered and I'm feeling better, then you have to have another plan to maintain yourself. Either be with a friend, watch a movie, or you know, there's any number of things you can do to maintain yourself in a more regulated state after. Then, then you asked about EMDR. So for, for most people, um, reliving a traumatic event can be re-traumatizing. And so what EMDR does, and, and also tapping, People may have heard about tapping. What that does is it provides you with a little bit of a distractor. So during these treatments, people are telling their trauma story while they're getting either moving their eyes in a way that's distracting 
or they're getting tapped on, or they could get be getting electrical stimulation on their hand. And that provides enough of a distractor so they can relive their trauma and become um, habituated or used to their trauma emotions in a safe way. So you asked me about physical and, and, and so the take home message is that the body is used in several different ways as we're in recovery. You know, one is keeping the body healthy with the please skill. Two is knowing how to change your auto automatic nervous system. And then three is knowing how the body can help you um, get used to your trauma memories. Okay. So um, you've told me before in our chats that mindfulness can help overcome trauma and PTSD. So can you explain mindfulness? Okay. So uh, mindfulness is paying attention to what's present here now on purpose. And that paying attention is accompanied by accepting what is here. And so not saying this is awful and so re refusing to accept it, but non-judgmentally accepting what is here. So mindfulness is the key skill in mental health because every single self-regulation strategy that we use is dependent on mindfulness, your ability to pay attention to what is here. And notice that when you get into these toxic relationships with these toxic people, the first thing to go is your mindfulness. And, and that's one of the ways they're able to get their victims. So if we're able to stay mindful, you know, if a person like this, and I don't want to say her because I don't want to make it seem like, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But if in this situation, a person could stay mindful of the fact that, gee, just a couple of weeks ago, I thought this guy was kind of creepy. Mm -hmm. You know, if you kept that in your mind, you would not, get sucked in as much and so so mindfulness is awareness of the present moment so what are the domains of the present moment that we need to be aware of well the first thing is everything in the environment everything that's coming in for, through our senses about the environment and that includes other people what are we sensing about other people you know the five senses the next thing to be mindful of is our mind and our mind includes our thoughts, our emotions, and our urges. And so lapses in mindfulness that include emotions and urges and thoughts, and people will just really not really plugged into what they're thinking and feeling, and they go into autopilot. See, that's another use of the term dissociation, right? When you're in dissociative state, you're not mindful and you're an autopilot and you're just emitting behaviors and you're not thinking about what you're doing. So um, when, when we go into recovery from things, from situations like this, we want to do the opposite of being an, on autopilot. We want to be mindful all the time, even though being mindful means what she described beautifully, and that is 
having to do your grief work, having to cry, having to, you know, admit that unpleasant things are happening to you in the moment. Okay. So you also mentioned that an aspect of mindfulness is radical acceptance. Um, Can you explain that concept? Yeah. You know, I really think that radical acceptance, um, Marsha Lenahan is the uh, psychologist who developed DBT. And she is also the one who who introduced the term radical acceptance into our popular culture. I think that this is her biggest contribution to our society. Now, people after Marsha Lenahan, for instance, I recommend Tara Brock um, Mm -hmm. to your listeners. You know, they helped publicize it. So I don't want to diminish their contribution as well. But I want to say that that Marsha radical acceptance is just so important. And um, when we talk about radical acceptance, she says radical because she means all the way, totally, completely. That means accepting all parts of reality, not leaving anything out. That means accepting circumstances and accepting the way I feel about those circumstances and accepting what I think, accepting the fact that, you know, I've just been screwed here, tricked or however you want to put it. Um, that's radical acceptance. But we can't talk about radical acceptance without talking about dialectics. And that's why this therapy is called dialectical behavioral therapy, because it emphasizes dialectics. And what are dialectics? Dialectics are opposite truths, right? Two things that are opposite truths that are simultaneously both useful and both true. And the first dialectic is, although I need to radically accept myself as I am now, in this state of having been victimized, I also have to change, right? So that's the first dialectic is acceptance versus change. That just because we radically accept that this victimization has occurred, it doesn't mean that we still don't have to take steps to change so that we can heal ourselves. Um, and so what Marsha Linehan says about this is that she knew a lot about change because psychology, behavior therapy, cognitive behavior therapy is all about how do we change our behavior. We know about that. But people also need to do acceptance work. And so Marsha went and studied actually Zen Buddhism and learned all about acceptance from the Zen teachers. So so I call it ancient wisdom. Acceptance comes from ancient wisdom that we need to learn to accept things in life, especially that nothing in the past can be changed. So we're gonna accept but then we're also going to work toward change um, in the present. So, um, oh, so do you want me to talk about strategies for acceptance? Yes, please. Okay. So, and you might know more, Donna, because I know you've been interested in this as well. So DBT has a couple strategies for acceptance. Um, One is called half smiling. And that is where... Um, you just 
have smiled exactly like kind of like a Mona Lisa smile. And in that way, you are um, accepting what's happening to you. And yet you're also saying that you're going to, you know, um, smile so that you can tolerate your emotions around that acceptance. The other posture is willing hands. So that is hands, palms up, saying to the universe, I accept what you have handed me, universe. I accept it and I'm going to take it in. So, so sitting, if you're sitting, you can put your palms up in your lap. If you're lying down, you can put your palms up by your side. Um, and both having that palms up posture helps you and the half smile helps you to be more accepting. Um, the other skill is turning the mind. That is like in any one instance, I can say, oh, I accept that this horrible thing happened to me. But then in the next minute, you might find yourself not accepting again and saying, you know, and how do you know you're not accepting? You're not accepting when the shoulds are going off in your mind. This shouldn't have happened. I should have done this. She should have done that. Um, and so when you hear the shoulds, then that's a sign to turn your mind back toward acceptance again. So realizing that radically accepting in this one moment may not mean that you don't have to work at radically accepting the next moment. Um, and then, since I mentioned the shoulds, um, DBT also has a saying that people struggle with, but it's true. And the saying is, everything is as it should be. Everything is as it should be. And so by saying that, we're not saying... Susanna should have been victimized by Luke, as in should means we think this is, you know, the ideal or the best outcome or something. No. Everything is as it should be because Luke is psychopathic. <laughs> so given the cause of what we know causes behavior, this is the only kind of relationship that Luke is capable of having. So this outcome is as it should be. Does that make sense? And actually, Luke actually said that. He, he said that's all he was capable of. Right. So, you know, who knows? You know, I, I don't believe that these people have a normal level of consciousness of themselves. So I don't take anything they say one way or the other very seriously because he's just saying it's like another glib flip statement that sounded good in the moment. So although it's true, I wouldn't credit him with truth. So how do you make that leap of, I mean, you just explained that everything as it is as it should be, but I can see where people would struggle with that. So how do you con come to terms or, or how do you say or how do you move on from that? You know, when when it when it was so painful, how, how do you move on and, and um, change what used to be as it should be? So. You know, the first thing is absolutely. Never to have contact with Luke again. And to realize that once you've had one in your life, you're at risk to have more. 
Um, you have a one in six chance to begin with, and that's still pretty high, but I think your chances of being re-victimized are higher than one in six. And then this recovery from this is like recovery from any other psychological trauma. It takes time. And so what, what do I think facilitates recovery? Um, Victor Frankl said that we can endure a lot of things if we can find meaning in, in that event. And so if people can find meaning in their victimization, whatever, however that works for them, a lot of people um, want to help reach out to others. And that gives them meaning. Um, so it works differently. So I think having meaning is helpful. And, and being committed to going on with your life. And like for me, I, I mean, I use this phrase, but I don't think you have to, you know, believe in God to use it. I think, you know, God put every person here on the planet for a reason. And so if people can reconnect with why God put them on earth and connect with their personal mission and start and continue, go back to doing God's work, then I think their healing is going to proceed faster than um, if they don't do that. So, and, and I think that's part of having meaning. So the answer is time and, and also um, doing the work of recovery. And also making sure, this is another principle of DBT, you want to survive your crises without making things worse. So we've all seen, those of us who work with survivors have seen what makes things worse. Jumping into a new relationship too quickly makes things worse because you have a really high likelihood of finding another one. Um, becoming dependent on drugs or alcohol, using those to self-regulate makes things worse. Not being focused on your health enough to stay employed makes things worse. So take control of those things that you can take control of so that your life doesn't get any worse and it'll slowly get better. Okay. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Oh, not other than, you know, I'm sure you did this, but I just thank her for sharing her story. And of course, we all wish her well. She's in our prayers and hope that she finds love and happiness again soon. Okay. All right, Dr. Leadham. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate all your wisdom and the time that you've taken to explain all this to the Love Fraud listeners. Thank you. I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. I hope you enjoyed the conclusion of my interview with Dr. Leanne Leadham. To learn more about Dr. Leadham's work, visit her page on ResearchGate. Or, if you have specific questions, send her an email. For links and other resources, please visit the page about this episode on podcasts.lovefraud.com. True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. 
Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. And for more information about this story, other great stories, or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.